When I was nine years old, I loved football. Oh, I mean, soccer. It was my life. I played it every day at recess. I got home and played it behind my house. I watched it on TV. Every chance I got, I got all the magazines. I bought the sticker albums, completed two of them. I had posters all over my wall. I got the new jersey every time it came out. In fact, for my ninth birthday, since I already had all the jerseys, I got the tracksuit top. I mean, check that photo out. Look at my face. Look how happy I am. I loved football. Too much, in fact. I was obsessed and it impacted my behavior. One time I, I got so angry at losing a, a football game, I started beating up a couple of kids. Now they were two years older than me, to be fair, but my school and my parents got together and banned me from football. Not just banned me from playing football, but watching it, reading about it, talking about it, wearing the clothes, anything to do with it. And not just for one week, not even for one month, but for four months, even through the midst of a World Cup. It was awful. I hated it. But I think it was one of the best things my parents ever did. Now, why might I say that? Well, to find out, you'll have to stick with me through the next few minutes as I share with you a story about three young men who were faced with an incredible challenge. My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors at Chapel Hill. And over the last few videos, we've been working through a series called Subversive Leadership. We believe that as Christians in, in the midst of a culture that's not Christian, we're still called to lead, but not on the basis of the values of our culture. Instead, we must lead in a way that stays true to our convictions as followers of Jesus. And at times, that will end up subverting the world's way of doing things. And we've been following along through the book of Daniel from the Bible. In it, we find a group of young men who were followers of God, who were placed into a culture that was decidedly not trying to follow God. And we've seen as these men learn what it means to lead and exert influence in this culture without compromising their values. But the biggest test they've ever faced is in this week's story. I'm going to break this message into three different parts. The dilemma, the decision, and the destruction. First, the dilemma. In our last video, we heard about a dream of the king of Babylon in which he saw a golden statue. Well, now he decides to erect a 90-foot golden statue of himself. On my honeymoon, I got a chance to visit New York City, and one of the highlights, of course, was getting to see the Statue of Liberty in person. It's most impressive. Now, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar, or King Neb, as we'll call him, erected in the story wasn't quite as tall as the Statue of Liberty, but it was made of gold rather than copper. And so I imagine it would have been equally, if, if not more, impressive. And ironically, after just having had a dream about a large metal statue that was demolished, King Neb decided to erect one of his own. Not only did he put it up, but he went even further. He put out an order that whenever the music started playing, all the people had to fall down and worship the statue. And anyone who didn't would be thrown into a blazing furnace and succumb to certain death. And here we find the dilemma. Should I bow or shouldn't I bow? And I'd imagine that it really wasn't that much of an ask. I mean, the music would play and as everyone else bowed down, you just bow down with them. No big deal, right? Except it was a big deal for three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
These three young men were followers of God who'd been taken from their homeland as young boys and exiled to Babylon. They'd risen to the top in this foreign culture and they were now leaders over the province of Babylon. But they knew that God had commanded them to worship only one God and King Neb was not that God. So what were they going to do? I love the way John Lennox, a professor of mathematics from Oxford, describes the imaginary conversation these three men's family and friends might have had with them. This is what their family and and friends might have said. We all know that this idolatry is bogus. Why does it matter if we outwardly bow down to him? It doesn't mean that he controls our heads and our hearts. If good men like you three refuse to bow down and get killed, that will make the situation even worse. You are top people. If you are not there to continue your powerful influence for good at the very highest levels of the state, what hope is there for the rest of us? And think of your wife and your children. What are they gonna do if you throw your life away like this? No, you must take part in the ceremony like everyone else for our sakes. We need you there in the corridors of power. One of the biggest battles we face in our lives is the decision as to whether or not we bow down to the pressures and expectations of our culture. In the last year, as our lives have been thrown into disorder by the pandemic, I've had a chance to reflect a little more on what pressures and expectations from our culture that I regularly bow down to. And one of those that I've recognized is that of consumerism. When the pandemic began, I noticed that I began spending more money on stuff. A game here, a book there, a toy for the kids here, an item of clothing for me there. And before long, I started to realize it had almost become habitual. In fact, I noticed it most in Costco. Every week when I go to buy groceries, I'd come back with two or three things that I didn't really need from the book section, the home section, the clothing section, the seasonal goods section, every week. It had become a habit. And as I took a step back to reflect, I began to hear myself rationalizing why it was okay, saying things like, Ellis, you deserve this. Life is hard right now and you have the money, so why don't you treat yourself? And your kids are sad. You should get something for them to make them happy. And I began to realize that slowly and subtly, but with great power and effect, I'd begun bowing down, not to some golden statue, but to the idol of consumerism. The belief that more stuff will make me happy. One of the greatest tests facing followers of Jesus in our culture today is whether or not we will bow down to the pressures and expectations of our culture. Whether or not we will follow all the other people like sheep and give in to the temptations that surround us. To give in to the belief that possessions will placate my passions, that success will satisfy my seeking, that that wealth will weaken my worries, that lust will lower my libido, or that dodging death will deliver life. The dilemma that faced these three young men is the same dilemma facing us today. Will we bow down to the pressures and expectations of our culture? So that's the dilemma, which leads us to the second point, the decision. The decision to the dilemma that Shadrach Meshach and Abednego faced was, no, they would not bow down. And the king got wind of it. Three of his trusted advisors who were unwilling to do what he asked and and yet willing to face the consequences of the blazing furnace. 
And so the king summoned these three men and he gave them one final opportunity to bow down and worship. One final opportunity to preserve their power, to save their face, to save their lives. And their response may well be some of the most powerful words that have ever been spoken. This is what they said. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. When faced with the most powerful man in the world and the prospect of certain death, these three young men stand their ground. They totally reject the claim that the blazing furnace means certain death, instead declaring their belief that their God has the power to save them. And in a statement of courage and boldness that takes my breath away, they say that even if God doesn't deliver them, they still will not bow down. And in so doing, they took away every ounce of power that King Neb had. You talk about subversive leadership. Neb could go ahead and kill them, but that wasn't what he wanted. He wanted them to bow down. And these three men were not willing, even if it meant dying. And King Neb's entire scheme hung on this truth that people were so afraid of dying, they'd do anything to live. But here we have three young men who had no fear of the grave, willing to regard their lives as worthless in comparison to the greatness of their God. 500 years later, another man made the same decision. As he knelt down to pray in the garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem, he asked his father if there was any other way. All things are possible for you, he said, yet not what I will, but what you will. And in that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, decided that he would give his life so that you and I could have it instead. And in so doing, he took away every ounce of power that the enemy has over us. He gave us victory over the greatest weapon formed against us, death itself. And he set us free from the consequences of our actions and gave us a fresh start, new life. When faced with the dilemma, Jesus made the decision to not bow down. And these three men also made the decision to not bow down. But what about us? The truth is that every single one of us daily decides to bow down to idols. Our decision to the dilemma is yes, again and again and again. Now, let me be clear what I mean when I say an idol. Uh, an idol is a good thing that's turned into a great thing. It's a good gift of God turned into a God. And we do this all the time. In fact, one of the leaders of the church over 500 years ago, John Calvin, he said this, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And idols today aren't typically statues. They're much more subtle. They might be our possessions or our money or sex or power or entertainment or politics or sport or liberty or even a vaccine. But whatever it is, Every single one of us is, is guilty of, of bowing down to idols on a regular basis, of, of trying to find our, our, our sense of security and worth and value, of putting our trust in them, of, of looking to them to give us what we need. And as a result, 
In God's economy, we deserve death and separation from him. But thanks be to God that Jesus, the only one who's never bowed down to an idol, took that death on our behalf so that we might find life instead. Jesus is a God who's worthy of our worship. Jesus is a God who's worthy of our sacrifice. Jesus is a God who is worthy of laying down our lives for. Jesus is of infinitely greater value than anything the world can offer. He is more satisfying than sex, more pleasing than possessions, more enjoyable than entertainment, more pleasant than politics, more satiating than sports, more delightful than dollars, and more gratifying than greatness. All the idols of the world won't lay down their lives for you, but Jesus has. And Jesus is the only one for whom it is worth bowing down. So the question is, who are you going to worship? Jesus or the idols of your heart? So we have the dilemma, should I bow? For these three men, the decision was no. But for us, the decision is yes, all the time. So there's one question remaining. How do we escape our idolatry? And this leads to the third point, destruction. Earlier in the Bible, we find another story about a golden statue, this time a a golden calf. And this time God's people give in to the temptation and bow down to it. And do you know how the leaders of God's people dealt with it? They destroyed that golden calf. They ground it up, they mixed it with water, and they made the people drink it so they could taste just how bitter that idol was. It's a little bit like this. Remember how I said earlier that one of the best things my parents ever did for me was to ban football? Well, the reason they did it was because football had become an idol in my life. Football had become the the thing which I... I bowed down to, I I sacrificed for, I I slaved for, the thing I I trusted in. And as a result, I was reaping destructive consequences. And so my parents, they took action. And they decided to destroy football for me. And then they gave it to me to drink. See how this tastes. Whose <laughs> <laughs> stupid idea was it to do this? What do you mean it was mine? Well, don't let me ever do something this stupid ever, <coughs> ever again. Oh, I need to go wash my mouth out or something. <coughs> it's a little bit bitter, disgusting. And that was honestly what I discovered, that football didn't taste as good as I thought it did. So I would encourage you that if you can identify something other than Jesus that you are worshipping, you need to destroy it. It was our idol worship that put Jesus on the cross. It was our bowing down to the things of this world that crucified Christ. And just like my parents destroyed that idol of football for me, 
you need to take action in your life. Well, not only will that idol crucify Jesus, it will also crucify you. And in taking that action, I know that you will discover that the thing you've set up as an idol has a very bitter aftertaste. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus is sweetness himself. So today, I want you to ask yourself, to what am I bowing down? What am I sacrificing for? What, What am I placing my trust in? Is it possessions, money, sex, entertainment, sport, politics, power, success, liberty, health? And how's that working out for you? Are you happier, more content, less anxious? I don't know what it might look like for you, but I want to encourage you to think seriously about what it would look like to destroy the idols in your life. Maybe you need to cut up your credit cards. Maybe you need to give away some of your possessions or your money. Maybe you need to delete that app. Maybe you need to quit watching the news. Maybe you need to quit social media. Whatever it is that you are bowing down to, destroy it. And find the satisfaction that you were looking for in Jesus, who is sweetness himself. He loves you. He gave his life for you. And he has good things in store for you. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray that you would be at work, that you would help us to identify where it is that we are not looking to you for our satisfaction, for our hope, and where we are looking to the things of this world. And Lord, I thank you that you've forgiven us, that through Jesus' death, you've taken away the consequences of that, and instead you give us life. And I ask that you'd send your spirit to empower us, to destroy the things that are holding us back from finding true contentment, true satisfaction, true fulfillment in and through a relationship to Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus.